Amen. Thank you, Jim. Thank you to our praise team. They work so hard week in and week out. Why don't we just give them a hand of thanks? We are continuing this week in our series called Vision 2020. Over the past couple of months, we've been talking about some of the distinctives of our church, some of the distinctives of our heritage. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at our mission statement, in particular, the statement, Maturing the Believer. So our two statements are Maturing the Believer, Winning the Lost. Winning the Lost, we'll get to next week. But over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about maturing the believer and what that looks like. And so I have a slide here for you that describes what Christian maturity looks like uh, when it's being lived out. It looks like the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those that list of things there operating in our lives in a way that we're not forcing them to come out, but rather these things are just kind of flowing out of our life. They become very natural for us to live this way. And so when we become mature in Christ, when we grow close in our relationship with the Lord, then these kinds of uh, characteristics become uh, the characteristics that we, we see on a regular basis. They become very natural. Um, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, the old person that he used to be is gone. I no longer live. That guy that I used to be is gone. He says, instead, Christ now lives in me. Christ's likeness lives in me. And that are, those are these fruits. Um, and then we talked over the last couple of weeks about how, what are some of the steps that we can take to begin living this way? What are some of the things that we need to put in place, some practices that we need to put in place, some things that we need to observe in order to move closer and closer toward Christ-likeness, in order to become closer and closer toward a person whose natural instinct is joy and a person whose natural instinct is gentleness. And so we talked in the first week about the need for total surrender to give over our lives to the Lordship of Christ. We talked over the last couple of weeks about how we need to be in relationship with one another. We need to be in community. We need to be plugged into small groups. We need plugged into Sunday school classes, someplace where there are other Christian believers where we can gather together in community, people who know what's going on in our lives, who can track with us what's going on in our lives, and who can, as the scriptures say, iron sharpening iron. Um, and then last week, we began to talk about this concept of prayer. And so we let the Lord Jesus teach us about prayer. Now, let me show you um, I think we have a slide here that shows the breakdown of what prayer, of the Lord's Prayer. You've got three segments or three components to this prayer. Jesus wasn't teaching us the exact words he wanted us to pray. Rather, he was giving us the format in which we are to pray. And so we ought to pray, start by praying, our Father who is in heaven. And we talk about how we need to know who it is that we're praying to. This is our Father, not our judge, not our counselor, not our supreme uh, divine being. This is our Father. This is a very intimate term. So we know who we're praying to. And we see that he's our Father in heaven meaning that he has all the resources of heaven at his disposal. So again, know who it is that we're asking who we're petitioning to. And then the second part of this prayer was this idea of praying for his kingdom to come, how would be his name for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we see when you take those three statements together, it's this idea of God's agenda. So before we get to our stuff, our daily bread, forgiveness, need for temptation, we want to make sure that we put God's agenda in front of those things. So that we're praying, hey God, we're willing we want to say to you, God, that we're willing to put your agenda before my own problems. God, that I'm willing to put whatever it is that you want to accomplish in and through my life before you begin to solve my issues. And so we're putting that priority. We're saying, God, I'm willing, like Jesus was in the garden, to say, not my will, but yours be done. I'm not necessarily excited about going to this cross, I'm not necessarily excited about the suffering that I'm going to experience. But if that's what you want to do, if that's what is necessary for you to get things to where you need them to go in my life, and for your greater purposes, then God, you leave me in my problems. Then God, you let me suffer. And so we want to put God's agenda before we get to our stuff. Now today, 
what we want to do is talk about our stuff. Because isn't it wonderful that we have a God that we serve who actually wants us to bring our stuff to him? He doesn't just say, hey, it's all about me, it's all about my agenda, and I really don't care about your stuff. No, this is a God who invites us in prayer, teaches us to bring our stuff to him. So let's stand together and read from the scriptures, Matthew chapter 6. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is instructing his followers how to pray. Again, remember, we're looking at a format here, not the exact words, and the third part of that format is our stuff. All right, so let's read all this together, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so I just want to walk through those, that last part of the prayer, daily bread, forgiveness, temptation, talk about what is Jesus unpacking here? What is he teaching us through those three statements? And then we'll talk about what difference that makes to your life and mine. Let's start with this idea of daily bread. What are we praying to when Jesus instructs us to pray to God for our daily bread? Um, well, Jesus has in mind much more than food. Uh, Jesus is not just thinking about where you're going to get your next meal from, although in some many parts of the world, uh, this is a consideration. For you and I, we're thinking about how, Lord, help me not to eat too much, right? But in other parts of the world, daily bread really is an issue. But daily bread covers every physical aspect of life. It includes food, clothing, shelter, health, protection, security, our finances, our children. In fact, in his commentary on this, Martin Luther once wrote, everything necessary for the preservation of this life is our daily bread. And he goes on to write out a list. He says, including food, a healthy body, good weather, a house, our family, good government, and peace, end of quote. And so Jesus, when he's talking about our daily bread, he's talking about the whole gamut, everything that involves the material world and all of our physical needs, all of that stuff included together. You say, well, that's great. God cares about that stuff. However, I always thought that our spiritual needs, this stuff about forgiveness, this stuff about temptation, was much more important than our physical needs. So why would God put before spiritual needs? Why would he put before that our physical needs? Why wouldn't, we, why wouldn't it be the reverse? Well, that's a really great observation. And as I was thinking about that this past week, here's what I came up with. You know, Jesus walked in our shoes um, here on this earth. Jesus understands what it is to be human. Jesus experienced hunger. Jesus experienced thirst. Jesus experienced pain. Jesus experienced discomfort. And so because of that, Jesus knows that while the biggest need in our life, yes, indeed, is our need for forgiveness, the biggest need in our life is our, 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 our dealing with temptation, are our spiritual needs, Jesus also knew that in order for us to be renewed in those areas, first, our physical needs had to be met. First, we needed to get some security. First, we needed to get some sort of a first aid. We needed to get a meal in our empty belly and our living situation figured out. And that until those more pressing issues, at least for us, us human beings and our frailty, um, at least for us, um, it's very difficult then for us human beings to begin to have those conversations about our spiritual needs as well. So Jesus puts this stuff up front about our physical needs before we get into a conversation about our, our spiritual needs. And when you look at the life of Jesus, this is exactly how he operated. Jesus spent much of his time helping people with the daily bread issues of life. Think about it. There's the grieving mother who lost her son. There's the need of the paralytic to walk. There's the fever of Peter's mother-in-law, the weariness of the disciples, the hunger of the crowds that have followed him all day, a simple sip of water, 
that a woman had wanted to draw from a well. And when you take all of those together, you see that the Lord Jesus was meeting the physical needs of people before he ever got into spiritual conversations with him. And that's exactly what you see take place. Jesus met their physical needs, but then he came right behind that and followed that up with a spiritual conversation. Um, you know, some people may say, well, Jesus was, uh, he should have been out preaching. He should have been out teaching a theology class. He shouldn't have been messing with all of these trivial things. Well, I don't think it was very trivial for Peter's mother-in-law to have a, a fever that was life-threatening. I don't think it was very trivial for the woman who had just lost her son. I don't think it was very trivial for a man who needed to be able to walk. I don't think it was very trivial for a woman who was wanting to get some water to drink that day. And so that is that after Jesus had met their physical needs, had met them at the point of where they felt like the crisis was going on, then he could follow up and have that spiritual conversation. So in teaching us how to pray, Jesus said, when it comes to our stuff, go ahead and tell God everything that you need to tell him. Petition him all that you like. Just lay everything out there before him. Lay him out, lay out there in front of him, your finances, your car, your washing machine blues, whatever it may be that's going on in your life that's troubling you, that's a physical need. Put all of that in front of him. He instructs us to do that. And then God says, then we'll have a conversation about your spiritual needs. Give us this day, Jesus taught us to pray, our daily bread. Jesus' next instruction was for us to, for, was to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, in some translations, you will read uh, the statement, forgive us our trespasses. In other translations, it'll say, forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us. But in all of these statements and all these words that are used over various translations, each of them is communicating the fact that God has a valid reason to not be in relationship with us, that God has a valid reason uh, why we have broken relationship, why we have broken fellowship with him, um, because we're needing to come to him to ask for, y'all are listening, right? To ask for forgiveness, right? Because there's something has happened, something has occurred, there's been some disobedience between ourselves and him. Well, we have a wonderful promise in the scriptures that if we do confess, that if we do ask God for forgiveness, look at what he promises to do. First John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, if we confess, right, we confess our sins to him, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, he will do this for you, friend, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will take your, your tainted heart and God will wipe the slate clean. God will wash your sins I wash your heart as white as snow. What a wonderful promise. So forgive us our debts, Jesus taught us to pray, as we forgive those who, um, who, are, who, are we, who are indebted to us. The second half of that statement, I think, is perhaps the more um, critical part of that statement. And for many of us as Christians, we gloss right over what Jesus taught us to pray. But would you notice that of all the things that the Lord Jesus prays in this prayer, it is only on this particular topic of forgiveness that he, he goes ahead and teaches on it a little bit more after he teaches the prayer itself. So he repeats this teaching again here in a few verses. Look at verse 14 with me of chapter 6. He says, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14, Jesus says, after he teaches the prayer, for very next thing, for if you forgive others their trespasses, that is, if you forgive them when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, verse 15, if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Of all the things in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus chose this one topic to repeat after he had taught on how to pray. Jesus says, if you want God the Father to forgive you, if you want God the Father to bless you, if you want God the Father to restore intimacy in the relationship that you have with him, 
he will do so to the degree and proportion to your forgiveness of others. You say, Gordon, hang on just a second. Are you saying to me that in order for me to get my sins forgiven, in order for me to get to heaven, that I have to forgive other people? And if there's unforgiveness in my heart towards somebody else, then I'm not going to be able to have my sins forgiven and I'm not going to get to heaven? Is that what you're saying? No, not at all. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, that would be unbiblical. Um, if you look at, remember, we, we interpret Scripture with Scripture, right? Um, and so let's take a look at, um, nope, not going to take a look at that. Um, the forgiveness that Jesus invites us to here, friends, is not salvation forgiveness. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about justification. He's not having, talking about how you have your sins forgiven and washed clean um, forever. He's talking about the everyday sins that you and I commit. He's not talking about, he's talking about the disruption that takes place in our fellowship between ourselves and God because of those daily sins. He's talking about the breach that occurs in our relationship with our Creator. He's talking about the effect that those sins have on our relationship with God. Those of you who have been around children know what this looks like. Perhaps a young person uh, does something wrong, they're disobedient, and there's a breach in that relationship between mother and son, between father and daughter, between teacher and student because of what the, person, what the young person had done. But just because they had done that doesn't mean that they stopped being your child, doesn't mean that they stopped being your student, right? You're still in that relationship with them. But because they were disobedient, because they sinned, um, now there's some sort of breach, though, in the relationship. There's not as much warmth. There's not as much affection translated between the two of you. And until that trust has been restored, until forgiveness has been asked and granted, until that happens, we can't relate the same with them. So we're not talking about salvation forgiveness here. Instead, we're talking about the kind of forgiveness that repairs the distance that is created between us and God because of our disobedience. Remember, Jesus is teaching us to pray this daily. He's not telling us to pray to get resaved each time we pray this prayer. He's talking about these daily breaches in the relationship, these daily sins. And so when we read that statement, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we realize that God is willing to forgive us and restore the breaches only in proportion to the forgiveness that we grant to others. Now, I'd like to suggest to you here today that if you're walking in your Christian relationship and things seem to be kind of sluggish, there seems to be a lack of joy in your Christian walk and your Christian relationship, it may be because of this issue. It may be because of some unforgiveness that you've got in your heart towards somebody else because you're trying to repair a relationship between you and God and God's going, hey, look, you've got an unrepaired relationship, forgiveness that you've not granted to somebody that you're living with on the earth. And until you take care of that, until you address that, there's going to continue to be this breach in the vertical relationship. Third statement that he gives us, he says, first, give us this day our daily bread. Second, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Third and finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, here's a question. Would a holy God lead us into sin? Very good. I learned that from my dad. Imagine that. Um, would a holy God walk his children into an environment of sin for the purpose of testing them to see if they would succumb? Well, that's a really great question. And first, I would say that God cannot lead a person into sin. That would be unbiblical. That would be something that is the scriptures teach God does not do. Flip over with me to James chapter 1 and verse 13. James chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted... 
hey, I'm being tempted by God. James says, don't let anybody ever say that. Why? Because God cannot be tempted by evil, and God himself tempts no one. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. In other words, God never tempts anyone, anywhere, anytime. It cannot happen. So what Jesus is not telling us here is not telling us to go beg God to not lead us into sin. We're not begging God, saying, God, don't let me go there. Don't take me there, because God doesn't ever take anybody and then drop you off in the middle of a bunch of temptation. That would be, again, unbiblical. Instead, Jesus is instructing us to pray, God, don't let me get in over my head. God, don't let me get in a situation where the temptation is so strong that I'll not be able to resist it. You know, every believer, every believer, given the right circumstances, can fall prey to sin. I love the example of Billy Graham, the great evangelist, who would always send somebody that he was traveling with into the hotel room before he would go into the hotel room. He wanted to make sure that somebody swept that place, looked in all the drawers, looked under the bed, made sure there was nobody in there, that there was nothing that would possibly cause him to take a misstep because he knew that there was so much riding on that. And so Billy Graham knew that he was susceptible, just like everybody else. And so given the right circumstances, any one of us will lie. Given the right circumstances, any one of us will cheat. Given the right circumstances, any one of us will steal, given the right circumstances. And so what Jesus is giving us here is a prayer asking God not to allow the kind of circumstances to arise where we would be swept away into sin, whereby the name of God would be dishonored, whereby the church of God would be scandalized, whereby the witness of the church would be damaged. Friends, this is a prayer for God to preserve us from that kind of catastrophe, to preserve us from circumstances that would carry us away into destruction. That is what this prayer is. If I could sum it up in the modern vernacular, the prayer would sound something like this. Lord, keep me from doing something stupid. Because I know what stupid is. I've been down that road before, and so we're praying, Lord, just keep me out of stupid. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's our stuff, and Jesus invites us to pray that. All right, well, that's our treatment of, uh, of this portion of the text, and so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I appreciate the lesson. I appreciate the, Jesus' teaching on prayer. I'm glad to know that God invites us to prayer, invites us to, to talk about our stuff, that he's interested in our stuff, but I mean, how does this help me, really, in the day-to-day -day life? I mean, I can't spend my whole day praying. What difference does this make to me? Well, that's a great question. Let's see if we can answer that. When it comes to our stuff, daily bread, need for forgiveness, need to give forgiveness, temptation, some people would say that God knows. God already God knows everything, right? God's omniscient which means that God knows everything. The Latin word's omni and scary, that God is all-knowing. Um, God knows everything. Why do we need to tell him about it? I mean, if God already knows that I, my washing machine's on the fritz, God already knows that my car's in the shop, God already knows that I'm having trouble uh, at school, God already knows that I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with some forgiveness issues, God already knows of the, of the, of the, of the, the sin that I'm I'm flirting with. God already knows all that stuff. What do I need to tell God about all that for? Well, see, friends, God did not pray, make prayer. The purpose of prayer was not for us to be able to inform God. God already knows it. 
The purpose of prayer is so that when we come to him with these things, we're reminded that we need him, that we are dependent upon him. So we don't pray to inform God. We pray as a means of reminding ourselves that we are dependent on him for the whole of life, for all of our stuff. And so when it comes to asking God for our stuff, it's really a reminder to us that we are dependent on him for those needs. That we are not to say or to take the approach of, God, I got this. God, I'll manage my way through this. God, I don't need you. No, this prayer is reminding us um, that we need God in our life, that we need his resources, that we need the resources of heaven to come to bear in our life and our situation. Jesus said, you come to the Father and you ask for your daily bread because by asking for it, it is a good reminder that you are dependent on the Father for it, that we depend on the God who made the trees from which the money comes, right? And that if God decides no longer to allow the trees to grow, then, well, there's no money to go around anyway. We depend on the God who waters the crops from which we get our food. And so this is how God wants for us to approach him as dependent creatures, as his children in need of our heavenly father. Moses says it best in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 12 when he's talking to the people of Israel. And he says to them, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're getting ready to go into this land where they're going to be able to build houses. They're going to be able to have all this stuff. And he says to them, hey, look, be careful when you get in there and all this stuff starts going really well for you. He says, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and you live in them. Verse 13, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, I mean, your economy's going great. He says, lest you forget when, when, um, when, when your silver and your gold is multiplied, when you got more money in the bank than you know what to do with, and all that you have is multiplied. In that moment, he says, verse 17, beware not to forget your dependency on God, lest you say in your heart, my power, and it is my, the might of my hands, my strength, that have gotten me this wealth. Moses cautions the people against thinking that way. Don't do that, he says. Keep praying and asking daily, God, for your bread, for forgiveness, to help you through temptation. Because in practicing that, Moses says, verse 18, you will then remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you that power to get the wealth, your good business sense. It is he that may confirm his covenant that he swore to your father's and now forwards that covenant onto you even to this day. In other words, by daily praying for our stuff, Jesus knows that this will serve as a daily reminder that it is God that gives us the power, and that it is God that endowed us with the skill set, and that it is God that gave us the intellectual acumen. And so to come to God for any material or spiritual need is to recognize our dependency on Him, that we have nothing without Him, that we eat nothing without Him that we buy nothing without him, that we earn nothing without him. That doesn't come from the hand of God either directly or indirectly. We are dependent upon him. And so by coming to him daily with our stuff, of course he knows about it, but it reminds us of our need for him in our life. So I got a challenge for you this week. I want you to read through the Lord's Prayer. Can you do that? Just a couple of verses. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Just read through it a couple of times a day over the next seven days. 
not just our Father, blah, 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 your will, blah, 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 but actually sit and think on it. Hagah, right? As our Sunday school lesson, for those of you who are in the Sunday school lesson, meditate on God's word, consume it, hear what Jesus is saying, read it carefully, read through that prayer multiple times, hear what Jesus is saying. And then I've got a second challenge for you, and that is this week over the next seven days, not one of the next seven days, but each of the next seven days, to get on your knees or find a quiet spot where you're comfortable and ask the Lord to teach you to pray. I want to challenge you to spend that time with him in quiet. You need that. He knows you need that. He taught us, instructed us to do this. Just 10 minutes. Just give him 10 minutes. I mean, even if you've got to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to get your 10 minutes in. But you find that quiet place and you spend that with God. And I'm telling you, friends, if you spend that 10 minutes with God in quiet, you'll be amazed at the incredible things that Jesus will teach you about yourself and about your need for him. Let's pray together. Lord, in the, in the words of the psalmist, we ask that you would this week lead us beside quiet waters. We ask that you would, in that short time each day, restore our soul. How we need that. We need more love. We need more joy. As fathers, we need more gentleness. We need more self-control. We need all of these fruits of the Spirit operating in our life. We need to come closer and closer to living like you live, Jesus. But there's a few things that we need to do, some disciplines we need to put in place. And one of those, Lord, you instructed us, is to get quiet with our Heavenly Father. Or we ask in that quiet space over the course of this coming week, that you would just flood us with your presence, that your Holy Spirit would be close, and that your voice would be loud and clear and crisp in those quiet moments. Remind us, Lord, of how dependent we are for you. Create a hunger in us to just be in your presence. We thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for pursuing us. We thank you for your death on the cross these symbols of your broken body and of your shed blood. And Lord, this morning we just give you this quiet space. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd begin stirring, that you'd begin calling us to these disciplines that would lead us to become the person we so long to be. We pray all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.